Hey everyone, what's up? Welcome in to a Friday episode of Real Sports Talk. My garage, June 11. Weekend is here. Hopefully everyone has had a good week. Or even if you haven't had a good week, hopefully things are gonna smooth out and be nice and cool for the weekend. So, hope everybody's rocking and rolling on whichever time and day they're at. Um, in today's episode, just want to get into a couple of things, talk about, you know, college sports, or just in general, athletes of college sports, and then tackle some of the NBA action that we saw yesterday, what we learned from some of the series that took place, and, you know, get into all that good stuff, and then some. So, to start off today's episode, I want to talk about something that has been in the works for a while, and... For a number of years, you know, a lot of people have talked about the system, how it's, you know, not taking care of players and not being able to be fair to a lot of athletes. So what I'm referring to is that for the first time in the NCAA history, in the next couple of years, college athletes will be able to get paid. Now, we know that a lot of universities, a lot of schools worldwide have been able to bring in athletes, recruit them to the program, offer them a scholarship, offer them um, the ability to have a good education and to, to, you know, really pursue their sport and be great at it. And so we've seen many years of a lot of athletes coming to college sports, whether it be college football, college basketball, and a lot of these players do a tremendous job of building not only their academic academics, but being able to be a great athlete, and you know, the NCAA has been able to, um, for a number of years, be able to benefit and make revenue just based on what you know, to the, you know, to selling tickets and you know, getting certain players. Um, a lot of the NCAA, uh, like Division One schools, you know, are able to get a lot of money, and they allocate those resources towards development and staff and being able to kind of, you know, to have you know expenses to afford for like such as travel and players going for certain things and so the popularity of the NCCA is so much during the college basketball season the men's March Madness tournament where all the viewership all of the attendance of, of these crowds really puts a lot of money in the pockets of the NCCA and athletes haven't been able to have a share of that or be into that because at a certain point in time it was all about just being able to go ahead and you know have your education play this play at at college you know four year five years whatever it took go to the nfl level go to the nba level get a contract and get paid and so the game has changed so much the rules have changed so much in the ncaa where you see a lot of players transferring from school to school and others are starting to kind of raise their voice about being paid and being paid fairly for what they do, for their name, their likeness, and what they do. And so if any player were to go ahead and sell their own merchandise, 
forth their memorabilia. Um, the NCAA would come hard on, come down hard on that person, that program, if anything was kind of done in, in an unauthorized way. But you know, for years the NCAA has been has so many restrictions in place where college athletes haven't been able to be paid for what they want to do. Now, also the reason for that is that you know a lot of schools and this mindset is still there. You know, a lot of these athletes, you know. They're committed to their sport and they're really looking to be the best person they can be. And so I think that the NCAA for a long while wasn't in favor of having college athletes be paid just because they knew that if that came, they would have to manage a lot of things on their plate. And don't forget, they are going for an education. They are young 19, 20-year-olds, you know, going ahead and trying to make something out of their careers. And you have, you know money that comes into play then you know there's some that may just not choose to go ahead and pursue a sport all the way through you know but then again everyone has a different kind of path coming out of college in terms of sports you know some of them some athletes go right into the big league some go undrafted some have to go for workouts excuse me um some just have to really find a way to build their careers forward and it's a very complicated um you know thing that the NCAA is going to have to deal with is that in a couple of years obviously from state to state there's going to be a lot of jurisdiction a lot of regulations about what athletes are going to be able to earn um with their name their likeness their brand um in the coming years and we've already seen some changes start to happen across some you know some um uh, states like California and Nevada and Chicago I mean it's coming it's coming uh, it's been coming for a while and the question is is how will the NCC kind of manage all this because for a long time they have been been able to they you know they've been able to kind of have their way with the system and the structure where a lot of athletes aren't able to have a you know agent representation of themselves they have to do it all by themselves and so now you know players start most guys are getting paid there'll become a lot of responsibilities with that there'll be things about you know how do they continue to build their build their careers up while being paid you know can they manage the expectations now at the pro level the the transition that the NBA the NFL has with these rookies and players coming out of college They're able to help them transition and give them that resources and everything right away. So with the college level, I mean, you know, will the NCAA kind of leave it up to the players to, or will there be something kind of some kind of strict kind of guidelines that'll be followed, where players will have to still do a certain amount of things um, to get that kind of you know transition to the, the pro level. So it's a fascinating argument and, and thing that you know whether this is a good thing or not for sports, for college sports. And to me, I think that for a long time, a lot of these athletes um, have been just looking to become more aware and be able to transition better into the sport uh, in any way they can. So in terms of getting paid, I think college athletes deserve to get paid. Um, I will say, although it comes down to obviously their performance, their effort, but their ability to able to manage it, and not let it become bigger than the program, and that'll be the challenge. Uh, I think that's going to be 
something they have, they have to tackle is that I'm all for college athletes performing at a high level and also getting paid at a high level. Um, but there's got to be a fine line where they're able to really do well in their sport, do well in their program, but also be able to become more financially aware of certain things, how to manage their money, how to not let the idea of getting paid get to their heads. Now, a lot of these athletes are going to need it because some some players aren't able to, you know, afford a four-year program or go every year with tuition and all that. So this will definitely help in that, no doubt. It will definitely help in that. And we do want to see more and more athletes be able to make it into the NBA, the NFL level, um, you know, and not have to, you know, withdraw from it or resign from it. Uh, because they may not have the financial resources to do so. So, I mean, it's a great idea that's going to have to be really kind of see how it goes. I mean, a lot of players uh, have been talking about the system. A lot of coaches have expressed their concerns about whether or not this is a good idea because a lot of athletes uh, are just going to start thinking about game checks and all those kind of things like that. But thing it, it may not come down to that is this is going to be this whatever's going to be taking place in the years to come will be college athletes benefiting off their their name their likeness they do on social media and as long as they're able to keep it filtered and in, in a good manner in which it aligns with the school I, I think it'll be a great thing it'll be a great thing that will take time because there will be those challenges about you know, what happens with international athletes? You know, will they be able to get the same kind of rights and equal pay um, if they decide to do this? You know, the transfer rule, the one-time NCAA transfer rule, how would that play into whether a college athlete gets paid or not? You know, so there's a lot of levels to this that are yet to be decided. Um, but it is an exciting idea because, one, you have college athletes getting paid potentially early on. As a result, they're more aware when they go to the NFL and the NBA what they're going to really be looking for. Um, and the, the whole transition may be a little bit more smoother and easier because they at least know that you know, they're getting paid. And you know, a lot of players will choose to save that and use that you know, potentially as insurance money or just be able to save. Um, but things that a lot of these... Um, athletes do work probably you know not only do they play basketball at high level football at high level um you know baseball soccer uh you know you name it they may do all these things um but you know it, it takes a lot out of them it takes a lot out of them because you know they want to be able to focus on sports and also be able to have a balance on their careers and their lives with getting a degree um, and they know that out there in the real world, and as we all know, it's very competitive out there. So there are times when athletes, you know, go ahead and are able to multitask. They're able to play basketball, football. They're able to, you know, maybe go do a side job here and there, um, you know, finding ways to make extra money on the side. Um, because it's a very competitive world. There's a lot of things that athletes aren't promised anymore. And, you know... That's not something bad. I mean, a lot of athletes have to earn, earn what they get. And I think that looking at across all sports, even on the women's basketball side, 
and, and you know, in WNBA, like, you know, there's a lot of things that are yet to come, you know, there's things that are still being improved day by day. And I think that once changes start to happen where players are getting paid more, you'll see them be able to go ahead and pursue their dreams, be able to still play basketball, um, but they'll be able to make some really good money. And it's about them just being able to do it in a way in which they're not, you know, bringing unnecessary attention to the program. Um, a lot of these athletes, you know, some athletes may not be able to get a scholarship or a full ride uh, to the school that they're going to. And, you know, with this, they may be able to at least make the start of, like, securing their financial future. And we've seen it throughout the years where a lot of athletes who coming out of college were promising they suffered an injury or something and they didn't have anything anything in, in to back them up they had nothing to back them up in terms of like you know they were they didn't have the money to deal with potentially getting a surgery or doing this or doing that and so you know if they do have this opportunity it's going to be great because a lot of these young athletes want to be able to do well get a degree play the sport um, and also be able to make money off their name and likeness. Now, it will take some time for people to, to accept that and get used to, but there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of cheering fans out there that these athletes look up to. And in the past, like I said, when a, when a player may have received like un, received benefits from a program, the NCAA will come hard on down that program because it, it didn't align with their standards. But now, with the idea of being passed across many states now, I mean, there will be happy strict regulations and guidelines to kind of keep this something in check where it doesn't get too out of hand. But it's a, it's been a long time coming, and I don't think that it negatively affects the sport, as some people may be thinking. I think we've seen it time and time again where there's a lot of schools that are able to benefit, um, and they want to help their players with their development, their resources. And yes, it's hard for those people in the upper echelon who own these teams, who own um, you know, the whole governing body of the NCCA. It's going to be hard for them to embrace this where you know, they, they can't, you know, they're, they're going to really have to accept this and try to find a way to regulate in a certain way with obviously Congress and all these other things that will come into play that, you know, everyone deserves to be fairly paid and treated and I think that singles for international athletes you know obviously a lot of college coaches make a decent amount of money and you know they obviously give the best experiences they can to their players uh, but I think that with this new generation that's coming up with the young players I think you're going to see that a lot of them not only want to go to school and get a degree and play their sport but they also want to be able to get themselves in a position where they are financially secure to tackle other things and tackle the competitive world where not everyone, not every athlete is going to be able to make it big time in their sport, but they at least have a have a path. And that path will start with them getting paid, whether they are a high-level player or low-level player, something that they can do on their sides. You know, they will be able to get that get that going in the right direction so you know if they're able to at least start making some money off whatever they do I mean 
it'll be nice. It'll be nice for the players. It's just it's all about the mindset. And I really hope that the up-and-coming players of the next generation of sports, like all the young guys in every sport, in college sports, hopefully they're able to really take on a good mindset of, like, wanting to be able to pursue their dreams of being at the pro level, being able to make money along the way, but being able to be sound, be able to be still, not, not lose themselves in the, in, the, in the sight of getting money off their likeness. And, look, it's going to be an up and, up and down battle with that, I'm pretty sure, uh, when, it, when it does go into effect in a year or two. Um, but it's going to be uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what the NCAA kind of does. Um, and, obviously, the sanctions and the punishments are going to change based on whatever happens. So, you just hope that the athletes coming up in the next generation, in the next couple of years, are able to really embrace, like, being a pro, being able to understand all the intricacies and, and complexities of how this will work and then being sure that they're able to go out there do their thing um, and still be successful in their sport and that's the biggest thing that I'm hoping for and I hope that a lot of people are hoping for um, with this um, with this change coming in NCCA sports in the next few years In this segment, I want to recap uh, the NBA playoff action that we saw last night, June 9, 2021. Got, saw game two between the Brooklyn Nets. Sorry, game three. Game three between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and game two of the LA Clippers and Utah Jazz. So, let me start by recapping what I saw and what I observed from the Milwaukee Bucks coming to their senses a little bit, winning game three in a must-win game that um, a lot of the media was talking about beforehand, kind of, you know, putting Mike Wilsenhoser and, you know, Giannis on notice, and the Bucks responded with a very close victory, 86-83 of the Brooklyn Nets. This game was really a defensive battle. Uh, the Milwaukee Bucks really uh, came out strong. I think putting up, putting up like 30 plus points in the first quarter. Uh, Kevin Durant not hitting all of his shots uh, early on, but you know give the Bucks credit for you know coming out much stronger than they looked the past two games. You saw Chris Middleton and Giannis attacking early, getting to their spots. And, you know, it was a crucial game towards the end. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets did have a lead. The Brooklyn Nets did have a lead. Um, I think 83 to 80. But you had Middleton get to the line, a couple of free throws, and then Drew Holiday I was able to get past, I think, Bruce Brown and get a layup there. Yeah. You know, the Bucks they have a timeout, but they pushed the ball. And there's a lot, a lot of time left for the Brooklyn Nets, actually. Uh, to come, come up with the possession, but you know the Bucks with they defended it. Bruce Brown that situation. He should have passed it to Kevin Durant. Rather, he tried to drive it to the lane, got blocked, and then the rebound was there, and Bucks put the game away pretty much after that because um, you know the whole inbounding play was defended pretty well 
by the by the Milwaukee Bucks, and they were able to kind of on, on Durant's last shot attempt, they kind of crowded him a little bit, so he couldn't really get off a clean look for three, and the Bucks hold on. So I mean, it was a game that the Bucks defense really stepped up, and the Nets did miss a lot of shots. They did miss a lot of shots. Joe Harris was one of eleven from the floor. You know, you had Kevin Durant who started slow but finished up with almost 30 plus points again in the second half Kyrie Irving some misses here and there but he's not always going to go 9 of 22 from the floor um, but you know, outside of Irving and Durant you, know, you just didn't see much from Blake Griffin in this game he didn't score that much Joe Harris obviously didn't have his thing and Bruce Brown uh, should have given to, Kevin, given to Kevin Durant on that inbound play um, they had plenty of time to execute a shot. So it was the kind of game where the Bucks really forced the Nets to play a little bit, kind of scrambled. Obviously, the Nets did not have James Harden in game three. Um, but, you know, give, you got to give the Bucks, you know, credit for just being able to limit Brooklyn offensively. I mean, the Nets may not score 86 points um, or, you know, they may not score 83 points, 86 points. I, I'm trying to forget the score now. <laughs> I just mentioned the score, but, you know, you may not see the Nets score, like, that low of, of, of a point total ever again. You know, I think it was either 89, 86, or 83, one of those scores. Um, but the Nets just came out a little bit tough. They never got into offensive rhythm. Um, the Bucks play with some intensity. I mean, you saw Giannis kind of go after it, attack. P.J. Tucker had a moment with Kevin Durant there, kind of you know, a little bit chippiness there. Uh, but the Bucks played much better. They played with the energy and the intensity that you need to win. Um, you know, I have a next still winning in seven, but I do want this to be a good series. And the Bucks at least provided some hope that they can be, although they're going to have um, they're going to be facing a Brooklyn Nets team that usually after a loss comes out blazing from the front up from the you know to the shooting and defense so you know I do expect a much tighter battle in game four and you know looking at what Giannis did in this game he put up 33 points and 14 rebounds but Chris Middleton also put up 35 Middleton had 35 that's the biggest thing Chris Middleton is gonna have to probably score 30 plus points a game uh, to help Giannis win in the series Drew Holiday not in double figures as much, but he had that go-ahead shot that which was pretty uh, pretty good. Um, and Brooke Lopez obviously doing a good job of defending in the paint, altering shots. Uh, they really forced the Nets out of their comfort zone quite a bit, kind of forcing other guys around Irving and Durant to kind of step up and shoot. And Joe Harris had a lot of good looks yesterday, but he just missed them flat out. Um, you know, so comes down to execution and hitting shots and the nets were a little bit scrambled yesterday a little bit not organized on that final play and you know that was all milwaukee really trying to just limit extra possessions kind of crowd up the middle and, and be you know more aggressive early on so uh, really good win for milwaukee and let's see if now they can find a way to type the series uh, and make it 2-2 all going to brooklyn 
The other game that took place last night was game two between the LA Clippers and the Utah Jazz. Uh, obviously game one was a close affair, but Utah was able to pull away. And in game two, uh, the Clippers had their chances to win this one, but ultimately the Utah Jazz were able to, were able to win 117-111 to 111 to go up 2-0 in the series. It was a really good game in the second half. I mean, Dominic Mitchell, um, first half was just lighting it up. Mitchell was lighting it up. Mitchell was lighting it up, um, you know, in the first half, putting up points from everywhere on the floor from three, from driving, you know. And in the second half, the Clippers were able to make a run. Even they were able to rally being down from 20 points. You saw the Clippers rally, uh, play some zone defense on Diamond Mitchell, force some tough shots and tough looks. And this made this became a game really in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, Kawhi Leonard had 21 points. Reggie Jackson was lighting it up. He had 29. Paul George 27. Biggest thing, although, is that between all three of them, Jackson, Leonard, and George, down the stretch of this game is where they just could not hit some shots. And give Utah credit, they're playing some really solid defense the way that they played early on in the season. I mean, Rudy Gobert just affecting all the shots you can think of. I mean, he gave DeMarcus Cousins a hard time inside. Uh, was able to get some quality blocks, quality stops. Um, Utah did a good job of not fouling as much down the stretch. You know, they really forced the Clippers to kind of get it going. And Kawhi missed some easy shots. and But he also took some bad shots as well and has some, some turnovers. And Bojan Matanovic, um, or... Bogdanovich was really good defensively on Kawhi Leonard in a couple of possessions in the fourth quarter where Kawhi didn't get his shot to go. You know, Kawhi didn't get his shot to go. Um, Jackson missed one or two, and even Paul George missed one. Um, but the biggest thing is that the supporting cast around Mitchell really played well. Joe Inglis had 19 points, Bogdanovich with 16. A couple of big buckets, big threes, and key moments. You know, Rudy Gobert putting up some nice blocks and getting some key rebounds. And Jordan Clarkson, man, lighting it up from the bench, playing at a high level, scoring 24 points. Um, and Mitchell just did his thing, man. He's a superstar that keeps getting better and better um, in, as he as he plays. And he was able to put a finishing touch on this game, getting a, bu- a bucket there, you know, at the end. So, you know, they forced... The Clippers, they forced the Clippers into nine straight misses. Nine straight misses when they went, they went on a 14-2 kind of run, something like that. The Jazz did, you know. So the Clippers went on on a 23-6 run, which they scored, you know, out, they outscored the Jazz quite a bit in that third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, at the late stretch when it was tied, the Utah Jazz turned it up defensively, got some stops, forced some bad looks. And they were able to convert those opportunities into points. And they got a really big victory here to go up 2-0 in this series, um, which, you know, bodes well for their chances, obviously, taking care of home court. You know, that's what the Clippers, I mean, Ty Lue did make some adjustments. I mean, bringing in Pat Beverly and playing DeMarcus Cousins and Luke Kennard in some spots. But, you know, the Clippers just missed some easy shots. 
Kawhi Leonard and Paul George both just couldn't hit those shots towards the ends and Rudy Gobert was active in the paint, kind of snatching some balls. Unnecessary turnovers the Clippers did have and just the supporting cast around Jackson, Leonard, and Paul George. Just not good enough, not balanced enough towards the end because the Clippers, the way they, they, they did play, it seemed like they were going to be able to win uh, and come back in game two. And they had their chances. They had their chances, but Utah defended well, forced some tough shots, um, and got you know got after it. And incredible job of just keeping everything in front of them, not fouling as much. Uh, the Utah Jazz were in sync. They were in sync. They played much better down the stretch. Showed a little bit more energy and fight than what the Clippers were able to do. You know, even with Kawhi Leonard driving and trying to get some buckets, you know, the contesting on all the shots was really, really good. And, you know, this series now heads to L.A. Um, and the Clippers are obviously in a must-win situation, similar to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, so we're going to find out a lot about Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Ty Lue. Obviously, they played well enough to have a chance in this game. Missed some shots because that could have gone their way. Uh, question is now, can they win at home and take care, of the, take care of their home court? You know, they've been in this, this situation in the first round, uh, but Utah is a little bit more different than Dallas. Um, there's just out, much better shooting on the outside. So, very curious to see what happens with the Clippers in Game 3, what kind of adjustments they do make. Because you just see the, Kawhi Leonard try to guard Donovan Mitchell and Paul George did the same thing. They were able to force some really bad looks from Utah Jack. They hit a lot of three-pointers that they should have made. Uh, but they forced the Jazz into playing a little bit more quicker, uh, especially Donovan Mitchell. So, you know, and he obviously got a little bit banged up there, Paul George, at the end. So, question is, how do the Clippers come out in Game 3 defensively? How can they contain Donovan Mitchell? Because Mitchell's been lighting it up so far. He's averaging like 30, 40-plus in this series over the over the. Over the six games he's played in the postseason so far, he's been averaging 35 and plus. Um, so how do they find a way to limit him enough to the point where they can, you know, they they need someone else than Mitchell to go off for, for, for a big total. Um, and that's going to be the key for the Clippers. They want to make this a series and make it longer. They're going to have to find a way to contain Donovan Mitchell to the point where he doesn't go off... <laughs> And, and beat them with his lone shooting. Although he had help in this one because Inglis and you know Bogdanovich and Clarkson stepped up. Um, so that'd be key is, you know, the Jazz are not going on the road now. They're going on the road to, to the Clippers. So Mitchell may have a little more tougher time. If Kawhi Leonard decides to guard Mitchell all game long, then it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the Utah Jazz uh, kind of do. But... You know, it's an uphill battle for the Clippers in this series. Uh, I don't think they're going to get swept, um, but they definitely need to win um, and win soon. Um, otherwise, they're going to be looking at a quick playoff exit. And kind of talent that the Clippers do have, with all the all the talk they've had this season, the, once again they are looking to come out of that 2-0 hole and win four straight. Um, but this will be an uphill battle, and I think that we're going to find out a lot about the Utah Jazz as well, playing on the road at the Clippers, um, to see what kind of adjustments the Clippers do make, and how does Kawhi Leonard come out, because Kawhi Leonard may come out really aggressive in Game 3, as he should, 
you know, he did it obviously on the road against Dallas um, when, when that happened. So it's going to be fun to see what, how the Utah Jazz respond to that increased level of play from the Clippers in Game 3. So I want to finish up today's episode by talking about the college football playoffs um, and a possible expansion towards a 12-team playoff. Now, most people may not pick up and follow on college football as much because there's just so much talent and things that keep on changing with college sports that you're sometimes keeping track of the football teams uh, and the recruiting athletes and all that coming in. You know, we all kind of learn about most of the college football athletes as they come into the season and start playing in these games. Um, so obviously last year was a, you know, a unique and different kind of season for college football. You know, every team played within their division pretty much. Uh, there were some games that, you know, promised to be notable. I mean, it was just mostly just within the conference very few non-conference matchups due to just travel restrictions and all that. And so we had a 14 playoff. We've had that system for almost two, three years now, or even a little bit more than that. And there's been a lot of complaints, a lot of, um, there's been a lot of complaints from players, I would say, and coaches um, about how the system is not fair and it sucks and all that about, you know, it sucks that only four teams get, to get a shot to be in the postseason. Others have to play bowl games or not get invited to something. And so that conversation has been coming up in college football a lot, is how to improve and make it more competitive and more better for a lot of the schools out there, the Division One programs, that are looking to challenge for a national championship. Some can challenge for the conference championship, but then they don't qualify for the national uh, championship conversation. And so, you know, we saw the kind of year that was had by... Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson, you know, Notre Dame. We saw all those things kind of take place. And, you know, the whole thing now about college football is that there's a lot of schools that obviously are trying to get on the map, on the national map, and be really good. You know, there are teams like Texas A&M and Florida and BYU that felt like they should have, have been given consideration for a playoff spot last year. And the college football committee decides, you know, who which team gets into postseason. Uh, there's a lot of teams that aren't able to make it to the postseason because they either get two or three losses, they don't have a quality enough, enough of wins, their strength of schedule. There's a lot of metrics when it comes to college, college football. And if anybody who does know it or wants to learn about it I mean there's just so many things that kind of go on within each conference uh, within each of these games within the committee itself that decides panel that decides which four teams are really good enough to make it to the college football playoffs you know this criteria has been always so tough and rigid and there's a lot of schools like the Pac-12 schools like the USC's the Oregon's Oregon State um, that have felt that they've been overlooked a lot by the college football committee based on their schedule and their rankings. 
Um, you know, you have something uh, in the Big 12 where in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, uh, Texas, you know, these schools that are, and these teams are so good in terms of their, their own unique way, but they don't get a chance to make that impression because if they don't win their, if they don't win their league championship, then they may not end up getting qualified for a spot. So it kind of comes with the eye test, the trying to schedule the conference championship. You know, some schools may even lose the conference championship but still make it. So the whole thing about expansion in college football is being able to make sure that a lot of teams that are able to qualify um, are able to compete in you know top 10 matchups and non-conference matchups. That's the only way that college football expansion is going to happen. It may take place in a couple of years, but people have gotten grown. All you know, people have kind of got you know really annoyed and and pretty much they've been bothered and are not happy seeing the same thing all the time. You know, for for years we've seen Alabama and Clemson go at it, Georgia. Alabama. We always see Alabama being part of the conversation always, every year. Ever since the system has been introduced, Ohio State, the same thing. You know, so people are, are tired of seeing the same kind of things happen in college football where there's so much dominance and excellence from, from the same two teams that keep coming up and, and, and because they're so good. They're well coached. They're always ready for, for you know, the, the spotlight. So, Expanding to a 12-team playoff does make sense. Um, I mean, look at the NFL and how they've been able to expand the postseason quite a bit. I mean, it was really entertaining to see the NFL last year expand with an extra playoff game uh, and, you know, an extra playoff spot on both sides. You know, we saw the Super Wild Card weekend, which had football from, like, you know, Saturday onwards. Um, and it worked out well for the NFL. You know, you got to see some competitive games. Some really good action overall, and I think that college football is looking to do the same thing. You know, expand their playoff, uh, expand the playoffs, have 12 teams. You know, obviously you would have, you know, all, all the top five power schools in it, and then the other spots will be filled by the second level of those conferences. You know, the ones like a BYU, um, you know, Boise State, perhaps other schools that may not know get a chance and can qualify for a spot but the only thing with college football expansion in the in the year to come if it does happen for a 12 team playoff you know you're gonna have more games obviously and that means you're gonna have to schedule things a little bit more closer to the time where the NFL has the postseason and you know is college football ready to make that commitment where you know is, is that committee gonna be ready enough to like deal with all these extra teams to evaluate first of all you know can they do it I mean, they, sh- they should be able to do it because they're paid to do that um, but with more teams with more evaluation you know a lot of teams may get higher seeds some teams may get smaller seeds based on it but biggest thing is that if they have to compete with the NFL you know scheduling wise how they're going to do that and will they be able to put, put forth a good product I mean they probably will but they want the attention to themselves in January, that won't happen. They may have to start earlier, and you know, and have more teams play in bowl games. You know, so the whole system is going to change in college football because there's a lot of schools that were unhappy with Ohio State 
getting into the college football playoffs last year because they did not play a whole number amount of games. You had Texas A&M who played even more, Florida played more, uh, but Ohio State was really good in their victories, the eye test, and they got in because of that. So it's a very interesting conversation that's going to be having college football coming up later this summer about what are they going to do to address this. I, for all, I would love to see more teams in college football as long as they are going to be delivering good on their, you know, efforts. More and more important things that you want to see great football. You want to see great football. And some of these schools that um, are speaking of and talking about expanding the postseason, you know, they obviously want to be able to do more. Every player in college football would love to do more and have more, more time to play and prove themselves um, but you just want to see these guys actually go out there and give a good game and we don't want to see mismatches in college football I don't want to see a team get blown out in postseason so I'm all for expansion but as long as the 12 best teams are picked the 12 best teams that are picked that have a chance to make it interesting in the postseason it will create some really unique matchups which college football definitely should want because you do want to give your fans matches that we never will see see ever before um, but those games and those seeds have to be right and it's got to be the best 12 teams based on the eye test the schedule the resume you can give us the 12 best teams and, and have some exciting playoff games where there's some upsets i'm all for it uh, but if we see some schools get in there and just get dominated from the get-go and you see adam just cruise through and you see clemson cruise cruise through all of the all of the postseason pretty easily and then you know things <laughs> the whole conversation can change so i'm really interested in seeing what does the college football committee decide what does the ncca do if they do expand the 12 teams you know how will that work out in terms of like, like you know area and travel to me eight teams seems more likely before 12 um, but they're discussing 12 right now, and I think that 12 is going to be hard to do uh, with everything I have mentioned. But they pull it off. It'll be great. It'll be great in the couple of years that it may take place. Eight teams may be more, more, more likely at, at this point, only because they've kind of seen what the four-team system playoff has done, and they can maybe try to make it to eight. But they're going to go right to 12. Uh, it'll change the whole landscape of college football. Maybe more coaches. More players will have more more of a say in where they go to recruit or, or actually where they actually end up choosing the program they want to go. Um, because if there's more playoff expansion, a lot of these recruits coming into college football will be looking at a lot of teams and trying to see what they can do to position themselves to be, be able to compete in that playoff format.